CEOs, welcome back to the CEO Wing Woman Show. I'm your host, Chrissy Bowie, and I'm really excited today to talk about a topic that we really have yet to talk about on this show. We talk a lot about starting your business, growing your business, but a lot of my focus has been around service-based businesses. And as I grow and scale, so do my clients with me, so do you guys. And a lot of conversation around adding a product-based component or bringing in a product to the business has been a huge conversation. So I am so excited to bring Alia O'Neill today. We are going to talk about everything product-based. She is a product development pro, an industry secret weapon, and the CEO and founder of The Products Place, which is a product development and order fulfillment startup headquartered right here in Dallas, Texas. We are literally recording down the street from each other, which is so fun. But the mission of the product place is to reduce startup costs, increase speed to market, and double down on delight by offering end-to-end product-based business creation, which is so incredibly useful because I think the product space for me and probably so many other people are just super overwhelming. So I am so excited to welcome you. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here. That intro sounds so awesome coming from you. So excited to, to kind of hear back, you know, what we're doing and, and who we are. Yeah, I absolutely love that. So would love for you to just take a little bit to intro yourself, your business, how you got here and kind of what your vision is for the future. Yeah, for sure. So I started off in product development as a technical design intern with a vertical fashion house that was my hometown. So I started off in the behind the scenes of making garments and basically rode that for the first half of my career until eventually I was taking over entire development production departments for international product manufacturing. So from there, basically with that early startup, that was the first half of my career, I then got recruited and came here to Dallas to work for Neiman Marcus. And I was a part of their couture buying team there as an assistant buyer, did that for two years. And I think kind of what happened to me, which I'm sure happens to a lot of your listeners as well, is we kind of start off in our career with one thing that we're super excited about. And then maybe we like trail off a little bit. And for me, I just really missed the making of the things. But it was great to be at Neiman's. It was an amazing experience. I was working with these beautiful brands, Balmain, Balenciaga, all the sexy stuff. But I really missed the behind the scenes of manufacturing, sourcing, and being part of those conversations. And so what happened was I basically took my experience and started the product place. I've seen a lot of the pitfalls of product-based business from all the way from couture to, you know, maker shops. And a lot of the times it's the same gaps that founders have in the product space. So I started the product place really as a little tool slash weapon for people who are into product, but some of that behind the scenes, how does this work? So now with the product place, we serve customers who are clients who are existing product-based founders who need help scaling. We also help people with our facility that executes all of the e-commerce order fulfillment. So we're actually in the logistics half of things too. And also just helping people with end-to-end development. So somebody kind of comes to us and says, hey, I want to do a bikini line. And we're their partners through the entire process, design, manufacturing, scaling, sourcing, going to market, websites, branding, all of the things. So that end-to-end service is really was kind of baked out of my current best practices. And we've gotten that down to a pretty good science now. 
That's amazing. Talk about an impressive resume. I was like, oh, yeah, definitely going to work with you. You've seen all of the things that, you know, we want to see, right? The couture house that is the, you know, all the range. And so I love that you also mentioned it's kind of the same problems across no matter where you are, because that's something I see with a lot of my clients as well. You know, I work with it's more clients at like different, you know, revenue points. But at the end of the day, the problems are the same. And unfortunately, as they get bigger, the things do too. It's the same problem. It's a lot bigger. So I absolutely love that you developed kind of a whole process to lead them through everything. To lead them through it. Yeah. I mean, it, even on that note, we say the clients are probably going to be like, hey, you say that all the time. But <laughs> Adding more more money, which is what these couture houses are, right? They're operating mm-hmm. with multi-million dollar budgets every season, month over month over month. But the change in revenue amount has no bearing on the change in the issue. So putting more cash into it just means that now you have a larger gap to fill. So if you're putting more cash into kind of your marketing plan, well, then you're going to need more of a return back out of it. Yeah. So the gap just kind of scales depending on what the budget is for a brand, but it's absolutely the same fundamental gaps that every business has, whether you're, you know, knitting on Etsy or you're putting clothes on Kendall Jenner. That, yeah, that's so true. And I can only imagine, you know, when they want to amplify the marketing budget, well, now you need fulfillment to be even better because if you're going to have more orders, you need that back end to really, to, to make the money. I think people think that throwing money at marketing or, something like that, more singles will solve the problem. But it's like, when you, when you get the sale, you actually have to to fulfill it. You actually have to. That's the downside everybody forgets about, which is, I mean, 70% of my clients come in and they're like, we need more sales, we need more sales. I'm like, you need to, you need to fix your cogs. Like, we need to fix the costs of the business, the operating costs of the business. That's where your revenue is. That's where your margin and your profit line. Actually, it's actually in all the decisions you've already made. So let's like fix the hole in the bucket before we keep like adding water into it, right? Because that's really what sales are. So it's just going to be more water that's draining out of that that leak if if that's not fixed first. So yeah, definitely same page there. Yeah. So we talked a lot already, you know, just in the first few minutes about money. Obviously, money is a huge constraint of a product business because generally you're wanting to stock up on inventory. You're wanting to do research to develop the perfect product. So you can go start making money right away like a service-based business. There's definitely significant cost constraints. So how do you see founders generally starting to fund these products-based businesses? Or maybe what are some more creative ways you've seen people be able to fund it? Well, I think even before we get into how they would fund, I think for me, I always try to come from a place of making sure that any founder who's getting into product for the first time is confident with what they're trying to fund. I think that's where people make the most mistakes is just coming up with like arbitrary numbers of being like, when I have $5,000, when I have $50,000. I think for me, it's really about making sure that we're confident in what is the budget that your brand, what you're building needs. And there's no amount of Googling that you can do. There's no amount of online templates for this girl started a fashion line with this amount. This person started the stationary company with this amount. All of that, there's so many behind the scenes variables. You really can't duplicate something that you're reading. So I think if I can, I would start with saying one of the hacks or like 
tools to being able to get a number that is truer to what you want to do is to build things backwards. And by that, I mean, like, let's say, for example, you want to get into doing some type of new water bottle because there's a water bottle on my desk. I always need props. So then you want to get into doing like a water bottle. One of the easiest things you can do is to find a water bottle that you like. We're not going to look at try to reverse engineer who their factory is. All of that is so far down the line. But I want you to look at just the retail price point of where they're retailing. Cut that in half, full math, divide by two. That's your wholesale price, give or take 10% either way, right? Cut that in half again. That's where you should be for costs to even be in the game. And that's a lot what I mean when I say, let's be confident about our numbers. Yeah. So if you get to that cost point, then at least you say, well, I feel like I can sell 500 on. Now you can go out into the manufacturing market and say, if that's my cost number. If I did that, that divide by two twice and I got to $6.50. Now at least you know, well, 500 times $6.50. Now you're getting into a place where like your budget is made off of something that's solid. And a lot of times then you can backtrack from there and say, well, what are my funding options look like? So if it's $7,000 that you need, you could probably find grants, $2,500, $2,500, right? Apply for these things. Um, if your budget, even doing that math is $70,000, then it might be a small business loan. Then it might be a combination of trying to get a business credit card. There's a lot of, which I'm sure you know a lot more about yeah. than I do. <laughs> there's a lot of fintech in the world right now yeah. that is supporting aspiring business owners to float purchase orders. Mm -hmm. So I think once you know what your number is, it makes it all a lot more achievable to say, what are the combination of funding options that I can use to get to that number? And now I feel confident that that number is not just pulled from somebody's Instagram story where, to be honest, they're like really not telling you the whole detail. Because I can tell you that 88% of the people that I work with that have existing product-based businesses as someone no, who were. used to own a product-based business and now owns a service-based business, correct? <laughs> yeah, there's so many things where you're like, oh, we're super profitable. We have a 65% margin. I'm like, do you? Because well, you're in like the top 2% of all products in the world and you should not change anything. And then we really dig into it and we're like, so you're at an 11% profit margin because you got about this and this PO and this piece of freight goes into your cog. So, but that was a lot. But in summary, it's, it's really about knowing what you're trying to fund first and just having some simple tools that can give you a number that you feel confident about and then plugging and playing and trying to get to that amount before you do any type of manufacturing, any type of sampling. Yeah, I think that's such a good point to say, you know, we have to even know what this number is, tensions are. You know, if it's a couple thousand, yeah, we could probably have some debt or we can get some grants or something. Something I've noticed too, a lot of the product-based businesses, depending on your time to manufacture and depending on what you're creating, a lot of the expenses, it's not necessarily a 
yes, sometimes it's a profit issue, but a lot of times it's a timing of the cash flow issue because you have to produce it first. You have to hold your entry and then you're going to sell. So, you know, anything that we can do for things that I've been working on, like like, like you mentioned, business credit cards, there are some awesome ones that have a 0% interest for 12 months. That's basically a 0% interest loan. And you hold the balance on the credit card for 12 months. Be pretty confident you can pay it off within 12 months because to like 28%. But it, it is like a timing issue. Maybe just manufacturing the product, but maybe you have a round of inventory that you need to buy and you have to buy it and then you'll sell to people within the next three to five months. A lot of navigating the product space, I found it's, it's just timing. And how do we make sure that maybe we have give uh, customers a discount for uh, paying early to us? Where they, they put in a purchase order, they put in a commitment so that we're going to have those funds. So, yeah, I love that you brought up all these different options. There are so many ways to get creative in the product space when you know you're going to be profitable, but it's just about that timing. Yeah, it's definitely all a timing game. When it comes to that, there, there are two main areas that I would kind of call out just to have on your listeners like radar yeah. as like options. The first is terms mm -hmm. the terms of your po it is very unlikely and of course my terms with my vendors i've been with them for 15 years so you know that a good faith there that happens that's awesome but if you're just starting out and you have no relationships there's still a lot of room to negotiate what your terms are so if you have a ten thousand dollar purchase order you typically will say okay we're going to do 50 percent now i'm going to do 30 percent once the product ships to me and i'm going to do 20 percent 30 days after the product is after I QC and be sure that everything was good because this is our first order. That right there can push out and make a, what did I say, $10,000? Yeah, something like that. Make $10,000 initial sticker shock of a PO actually be like, well, it's not really $10,000. It's actually five now. And then I have another 90 days until production is done. And in that time, here's my second point, that's pre-selling. That's when you start to collect cash without having any product at all on here, right? And so for pre-selling, one of th the things that I always call out is make sure that you actually have the purchase order confirmed before you start pre-selling. We're not going to start pre-selling things and be like, I think I'm going to make it. We only start to pre-sell once you place that deposit because then you know you're getting product, right? So, but even that, yeah, th those terms and just knowing that that's kind of the industry standard. It's very unlikely that anyone will ask for 100% upfront. But a lot of times with my clients, they're like, oh, so it's only, you know, a third, a third down, a third later, and a third at the end. That can also, you know, double down with what you said about having that 12 months with no interest. Those are all like three really good levels of kind of the recipe. Yeah. Of how you can say, oh, well, you know, I was already recouping funds before I invested fully. Exactly. It's just playing a game, shifting money into different buckets until we actually have the physical cash to pay it off when we do start order fulfillment and making sure that we are or getting money in our hands. So we've kind of talked about funding it, starting it. What do you see are the biggest issues when people come to you either with an idea or maybe they've started? Where, where do they kind of get hung up on all of this? 
Um, I think I kind of mentioned it a bit, but I think the biggest issue is a lot of times, I would say 60% of the conversation, the discovery calls that I have, it's, well, I'm halfway done. And then I come back and I say, we're not halfway done. We have to like read all of this. So I think it's getting too far in the manufacturing process without knowing what we're should be manufactured. It's kind of the same psychology as what I was saying before you get into funding, know what you're, you need to be funding. And so a mistake that people make is they get super far down the line and they're like, my product's almost done. When really then I start working with them and I say, hey, you know, the product doesn't have enough differentiation. You're not going to be able to break into the market. We need to go back to the drawing board. And this is, you know, like I said, 60% of the time, because there's a couple of features or product benefits that we actually need to bake into your manufacturing to make sure that you're going to make something that you can sell. Right. So I think that's a mistake that can happen a lot is not taking the time to actually push yourself and say, is the best, is this the best version of the product? Because as you mentioned, when we kind of started off, there are a lot of pathways to getting into entrepreneurship. But the thing about product-based business is you can't sell a VIP day and get the cash flow, right? You can't say, oh, okay, well, next week I'm going to do three strategy sprints and then pull it in. It doesn't work like that. You really have to commit and know that what you're selling is it. <laughs> like. It's the best absolute version. There's no beta rounds of the course. There's no, we're going to try this. All of that is fantastic. I do all of that in my business as well because I'm my business is actually a service-based business. But when it comes to purchasing those POs, you've got to be, that's it. Once you put that deposit down, how you set that product up is how it's coming in. So I think it's about slowing down at the beginning even if it takes you a really long time and it feels like you're going nowhere, but really slowing down the beginning and really pushing yourself to say, I have one shot at this, unlike everything else I've done in business, I have one shot at this this time. So if it takes me an extra six months to really understand the market I'm getting into, to really understand who my competitors are, this is that world of your entrepreneurship journey that you absolutely have to take that time in. So all the service-based business owners who we've been telling, just go for it, put it out before it's perfect. Ignore that right now. <laughs> if you are looking at a product, ignore that. Yeah, I mean, and there's, and there's, a, there's a level of minimum viable as well in products where at a certain point you got to call, you got to call mm -hmm. it and, and move forward. But that point comes later than what you might be used to as an entrepreneur. Yeah. It comes a little bit later. There's a little bit more due diligence that you want to do because it is a large financial commitment. You basically take a big leap of faith for. So for people right now who are service-based mostly and looking to kind of diversify their revenue, saying maybe I want to add in a product base, maybe I want to look at some other options, you know, what would you say for people having this opportunity to add diverse revenue stream? Yeah, I think that's a, <clears throat> sorry, I think that's a great, chunk of language there, which is, is something that we're seeing a lot of is like successful serial entrepreneurs saying it's time to get into product, not because, oh, it's so passionate and it's been on my mind and I have this product that I have this problem that I'm trying to solve and I'm the only person that can make this lipstick. But there's this whole other world of it, which is your service-based business is rocking and rolling and you don't really have anything else to reinvest into it 
You don't need to hire another team member. You don't need to invest in any other software. Like you're solid and you're making too much profit or you're basically about to give yourself a salary that like is awesome, but you might not necessarily need to be at that point. A product-based business can be a really good diversifier to just give you a different avenue of where to put that cash flow. So one of the things you can do is, again, all about the numbers. I love product and products are innovative and sexy and I love all the things, but figuring out what that chunk is, right? Saying, I've got about, I'm looking up my projection and I'm going to end the year about 42.5 heavier than I thought. I can see that coming down the line. We had a really good round of um, enrollment with the program. I had you know, three retainer clients that I did not think were going to sign at the level they were going to sign at. And I'm watching my projection and I'm going to land about $42,000 higher than I thought. Take that number, do the first round of math that we talked about today, which is like, find a product that fits at the retail and work yourself backwards. That can be a really fun exercise if you position where you can truly diversify is to say, okay, awesome. I'm going to allow myself to burn this cash and bet on me let me build a, a, a budget backwards from there. Could it be a 16-piece fashion line? No, right? The math doesn't add up. Could it be a hero skew of a skincare product? Probably, right? Could it be something in home goods? Could I start a candle line? Don't start a candle line. <laughs> Isaac, wait, hold on, first of all, don't start a candle line. I know it sounds really attractive, there's a lot of hidden costs in candles and there's a lot of weird stuff that's going on with candles. So if you can start anything else, don't, <laughs> don't do it. Do you take one um, thing away. <laughs> yeah, because it was like right, right now, April 2023, there's a lot of raw materials that are not coming into the United States. Just hear me now. Don't do it right now. But yeah, like working backwards for, again, it's like, I think it's all about confidence. Yeah. Being like, no, I can afford this. Like, She's going to do the branding. This is the budget. I know I can pull a thousand units because I've already done that math to know what they're going to be each cost. I understand what my potential could be if I sell through half of the inventory I purchase. I think that can actually be if you're, if the entrepreneur is into that type of activity, that can be a really fun Excel doc. Yeah. Be like, here's scenario A, here's scenario B. And sometimes differentiating your versus doesn't have to be like this big burdensome new venture like not everything we do as entrepreneurs has to be like this big almighty emotional adventure that we take ourselves on it's okay to have something that like just adds to the pot you're proud of it but it just adds to the pot and I love what you said at the beginning about how you might not necessarily be making a product because you're the only one who can do it or you're going to do it. Next. And I think, and feel free to correct me, but from the outside looking in, there are kind of two perspectives of this. Like number one is going to be the person who's going to go all in on the product because they think the product is it and mm -hmm. it's great. And that's probably your product-based business. But the second, and this is what I see a lot, is a service-based business who has built their personal brand. People love them and they will support what they do. And they're going to leverage that kind of ownership and that personal brand to then build something that aligns with their personal brand. But it might not be the best, you know, the only one of its kind, it's kind of just wow. tailored to you and your personal brand. And I work with, you know, content creators and influencers that like, we're getting into, yeah, how can you leverage your brand, especially if you are currently reliant on 
somebody else to pay you, if you're reliant on brand partnerships and you're waiting, start building, you know, your own that is adjacent to your personal brand that makes sense for you. And it's sitting on your brand. It's not like just the product. That's kind of what I've been noticing. Yeah, I think that's, there's so many pathways to products. It's, there are no right or wrong reasons. If I spoke to a hundred people, I'd give a hundred people different advice. I think that the, the underscore of all of it is that make the product good because there's no point in putting nonsense out there because you're just going to be fighting yourself to make sales. What I try to always instill in anybody that I work with is marketing is great. Branding is great. Your personal brand is great and followers. Fantastic. We love that for you. At the end of the day, you're not going to make sales if that thing sucks. Right. Still has to be a quality product. (laughs) Yeah. We'll make one swing of sales and then you'll be in a pool of pain trying to spend $70,000 a month in ads to make $70,000 a month in revenue. That's a very large number, but you'll be spending $700 in ads to make $700 and you're just going nowhere. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what I see that happens when we don't innovate the products enough. So Mm -hmm. it's a very fine line of you have to know what's best for you. You have to know what's best for you and and how much innovation you're trying to put in for the product. If this is the only thing that you're going to do, this is your new career path, then it's that amount of time and that amount of energy is larger. If you've got a really solid foundation of other things that you're doing that are supporting you and your lifestyle and your team, the half as much innovation, get the product out there in the leanest and highest quality way that you can so that you're not in that ads game. That's what I really, where I really hate to see people kind of sitting because that's a lot of revenue people spend on ads. That's a lot of it is not 100% necessary because you can do a lot organically um, if the product's good. Yeah, that definitely a good point. No matter what, whether it's, you know, based on a product or based on you, it still has to be a good product and something that you're comfortable and confident putting out there of yourself. I know for me, anytime I make something or put something out in the world, I'm like, this has my name on it, right? Like you've got to feel good and confident. Exactly. So I know you gave us a little glimpse into, okay, we're not working with candles. Don't want to do that. But what do you see kind of trending in terms of maybe like types of products and, you know, what what do you see on the horizon that's coming up or expectations for products in the future? Yeah, I think one of the things, and it's kind of like what we specialize in, especially for our end-to-end world where we're kind of jumping in and doing all the development. I think the highest success right now are what we call hero businesses, which is twofold. So it's one, it's a product line, it's a brand that in and of itself just pushes one thing. So if you're curious about getting into skincare, just make one badass face serum. We don't need a cleanser and a lotion and a toner and all the accessories. And then you're going to do your own line of cotton balls that are coming in your Did it just just do the one thing really well? Do your branding story that talks to that one thing really well. And then it also opens up the opportunity in 18 months when you say, you know what, I kind of want to do this other thing. Then just rinse, wash and repeat and build another hero product based business. I think where I'm seeing us go right now is the world of 
these big lifestyle collections where you go on these product brand websites and it's like home, kids, kitchen, right? Like beautiful. I love that for you. It's definitely not where I would start. Mm -hmm. So I think hero product-based businesses are, are already the trend. I think that's already what we're seeing a lot of success on from like social media, TikTok, double downed on that energy. But that's, that's, I think, where pretty much everybody should be. In my mind, there's very few exceptions to that, where an aspiring product founder needs to create a full collection in their first time. Perfect. So work really, really hard on one thing, make that the best, and then kind of build on that credibility when you have the absolute best, you know, face lotion, whatever that is, build on that. I think that that makes so much sense. It also seems to me like that would be a little bit easier from a like marketing and advertising standpoint. Like you're not in 15 different places advertising different things. It's it's this one thing and we're pushing that absolutely. Right. And it really in the back end, not to get too micro, but it really helps you in so many different other ways too. It helps you with the financials, obviously, because making one thing is obviously going to be less than making 12, but it also helps you in building really good relationships with your vendors. I think that's a piece. There's such a relationship component to product-based business. There's a relationship component to service as well, because you have to have a good relationship with your clients, but the relationships that are like near and dear to you and need to be massaged when it comes to being a product-based business actually has to do with the vendors that you're dealing with, your manufacturing partners. Uh, I would say that the smallest product-based startup in the world still has about 10 to 15 vendor relationships that are all incredibly important to each other. And I think that's a skill set that can really set a brand back if you start paying attention to that too late. Having one product really allows you to have these really rich conversations with these vendors who are like literally making your thing for you. So without Ben, and if they don't like you and it's rude or you sent a snippy email back, you're going to be the last on their list when they have a new innovation. You're going to be the last on their list when they're like, well, I know that I could actually get her you know, product done for about 18 cents less. But whatever, she's already been on a couple POs. She doesn't really talk to us at all. She's obviously not that engaged. All of that really adds up and makes a big difference. So I love hero product-based businesses for that as well. That's so smart. And just learning, you know, we do know in business relationship is everything. And from a product standpoint, it might not seem as much because you're working with, you know, different, different consumers, but you're a vendor. Everybody focuses on customers. Yeah. Everybody focuses so much at the beginning on customers. Mm -hmm. But the reality is in a very early product-based business, it's more heavy on the relationships because you're doing something new. Automatically, you're going to get all of your customers are new. Mm -hmm. You know, you shake some time. How deep can you go in that relationship? It's until you see them three or four times that then you start to learn, oh, I think she might like this. So that's actually a longer built world of relationships that I think gets prioritized almost a little bit too early. But that's probably controversial. So I don't we know. love controversial opinions. And obviously you've been incredibly successful, have an incredible resume. So I would trust whatever you're saying. <laughs> so to our listeners, you know, if they've been dealing, I'm now convinced I can start a product base, but I need an idea first. But if we want to, you know, leverage your knowledge, talk with you, work with you and the product place, how can we do that? 
Yeah. So reach out to us, theproductplace.com. We're on the Instagram at theproductplacehq. We're open. We have a couple of entry kind of engagement points with us. We do these things called the plan, which is really like six week sprints where we're going through innovation, we're going through all the financials, we're making merch plans. And you're really walking away with that sprint with us with all of the components you would need to go and get funding or to at minimum know exactly what those numbers would be and exactly what your product like. So I always say that that's a great place for, for individuals to start. But yeah, theproductplace.com, we're there. Amazing. And to our listeners, those will all be linked in the show notes. You will find me engaging with them. We'll tag them on Instagram, every single place, because I want to see what you guys come up for products. And I would love to see some of those come out of the product place. So, Aliyah, it has been amazing talking with you today. I am so thankful to have you here. Thank you so much. It was fantastic. Thanks so much. So to our CEO listeners, stay tuned. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 